Good evening, folks, and uh, thank you for joining me today. Actually, it's been a while since I've done a podcast. I was away, and uh, since I've come back, I've been doing more researching and reading than I have been doing speaking. But in any event, I wanted to continue on with uh, what we've been doing, looking at Book of Revelations, the riders on the four horses, called the four horses of the apocalypse. And we're to the last one now. This one's a rider on a pale horse. We've seen a rider on a white horse, red horse, black horse, and now the pale horse. And let me read it from the scriptures, what it says, since it's in Revelations, the sixth chapter. And when the fourth seal was broken, I heard the fourth living being say, come. And I saw a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. There followed after him another horse, whose rider's name was Hell. So in this one, we're actually seeing two horses. One's name is Death, and there followed after him another horse whose rider's name was Hell, which is, to me, is giving you a real depiction here of this fourth seal that's broken and the fourth horseman that comes out. It's a demonically led thing. It's a, it's a kind of, as we get into this, we'll see it's kind of a last-ditch effort for control of power. And it goes on to say that these two horses were given control of one-fourth of the earth. So they, you know, they never get total control of everything. But what do they do? It says to kill, how? With war, with famine, disease, and wild animals. And I think disease and wild animals, uh, some of that is synonymous because a lot of the diseases come through the wild animals. So in any event, this is the fourth horse mentioned, and all of these fourth horses, four horses, they're riding kind of consecutively. We're seeing the first one with deception, the second one with division, the third one with economic depravity, but they kind of run uh, consecutively. They're running together, and this last one, I think, is mentioned last for a good reason. I mean, Jesus is opening these seals, and he's this last one, because I believe it's like a last attempt, a last-ditch effort, as I mentioned, for total control. And uh, we've seen this throughout history with empire after empire. They go forth to try to gain their total control and power, but eventually, you know, they never win. And so we're seeing this riders on the fourth horse again. This is the final assault. And eventually what happens is they get defeated with their own devices. The very thing that they're setting out to do winds up turning on them and defeating them. And again, we've we've seen that. There's, there's a thing in, in uh, centuries ago, Shakespeare wrote Hamlet, and he's got a line in there about a person. He said he's hoisted upon his own batar, batard. Batard is an explosive device. And what does he mean by that? It became a proverbial saying, you're destroyed with your own devices. And again, happened through history, and God has always done this. He he turns upon them the very things they're trying to do. And I think I've mentioned this before, bears repeating. When the nation of Israel was backed up by Pharaoh against the Red Sea, when Moses was leading the nation out of slavery, they were backed up against the Red Sea. Pharaoh thought he had them right where they wanted them. I got you where I want you. Here's my army, and you got no place to go. Well, who winds up drowning in the Red Sea? Pharaoh's army. And there's a guy in history named Haman who's going to destroy the Jews. He's going to hang Mordecai. He builds a gallows to hang Mordecai on it. And who winds up hanging on, hanging dead on the gallows? The very guy who built the gallows. 
Goliath comes out against David with a great sword. He's going to slice and dice David. And who winds up with his head cut off with the very sword that he went out after David with? Goliath does. And the cross of Jesus, of course, Satan thinks he's got Jesus right where he wants him. He's got him on the cross, and that's going to be the end. And what does a cross come? The salvation for Christians and the defeating of Satan through the resurrection of Christ. So everything the enemy means for evil, God ultimately turns it for good. He's defeated by his own plans. You know, way back in Genesis, God spoke to Abraham when he's giving them this covenant, which was an unconditional covenant. And he tells him about what's going to happen in the future. He tells him about the nation that he'll become. But he says, for 400 years, you're going to go into slavery. And, and why? Until he, he tells him, until the Amorite sin has reached its fulfillment. In other words, what he's saying is, look, that land that I'm going to send you to, the Amorites are in there right now, but the clock is ticking on them because they've rejected God and they've rejected anything to do with God. And we see, I guess I'm saying, we see the same thing through history. God allows things to go for so long and then he brings judgment. Now, he's a gracious God, full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy, not willing that any should perish. But man in his foolishness rejects him and God eventually judges in Leviticus, God said the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin and it vomited out its inhabitants, speaking of the same land, basically. That's pretty descriptive. He's saying the land is vomiting out because of what the people have done, because of what they've tried, because they're anti-God and they try to just control and subvert other people. By the way, that when it says the land is vomited out, I guess that pretty well tells you who owns the land. God owns the land. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Man's just meant to be a steward of the land under God. God is the ultimate owner of the whole thing. People sometimes think, well, Adam sinned and, and uh, then he gave all the ownership of the land over to Satan. No, Adam gave what he had, but the Adam never owned the land to give it away. God owns the land. Even the nation of Israel when God raised them up and brought them into the land I just mentioned that he promised Abraham, that land was God's land that he was allowing them. He was blessing them and allowing them to live there. As long as they love and served him, the land, he said, will be blessed. But if they didn't, what happened? They would be judged, judged and they, were, they lost the land. In any event, justice always prevails because we serve an all-powerful God who's has all the authority, and he has now given all that authority to Jesus, as we're seeing Jesus open these seals here, he has the keys to death and hell. We're seeing the writer's name is death and hell follows, and specifically in scripture, actually later on, it'll say Jesus holds the keys to death and hell. Keys are symbolic of power. Now, back to the fourth horseman. It says he, that, that he's going to try to destroy with sword, famine, pestilence. Uh, all of this stuff was, was mentioned previously in Scripture with the prophets. Ezekiel mentions the same thing as concerning Jerusalem. When they turned away from God, he said, I'll destroy you with the sword without and famine within. So again, the ultimate control is under God. And the four horsemen only think they're doing their thing when in actuality, what are they doing? Are they taking God by surprise? No, they're not at all. Eventually, it's, it's just, actually, it's just them 
fulfilling the predeterminate counsel of God. Now, I wanted to mention this, because if they're going out to destroy a fourth of the earth, um, unfortunately, throughout history, and again, it'll happen in the end, there'll be a final fulfillment of all of this in the end times, of course there will be, but Christians sometimes think that in the course of this, that we're never going to come under any of this judgment. And the fact of the matter is that, well, I just mentioned the nation of Israel, they were God's people, they came under judgment. So sometimes... Even good people can come under judgment because they happen to be living in that land that God is judging. I mean, not everybody, when Israel lost the land, not every one of those people had rejected God and was serving other gods. Some of them were loving and serving God, and God did protect, and he will always protect a remnant of them. But unfortunately, some get can get caught in the crosshairs. And I know we have a scripture in Thessalonians that Christians uh, talk about referring to the end time talking about what's going to happen in the very end. It says, God has not appointed us to wrath. That's in First Thessalonians, but to obtain salvation. Well, if you look around that scripture and you see what he's talking about, salvation is the key issue to that whole thing. When God's wrath is poured out, that's talking about destru- destruction and death, specifically against those who have rejected God. So yes, God, the ultimate, the ultimate wrath of God is what you're seeing the enemy trying to do here, death and hell. That's the ultimate thing. And no, God has not appointed us to that. We're not going to come under the wrath of God. We're God's people. We're not going to experience, actually, I say death and hell. You know what? We have eternal life. We don't experience either one of these, death or hell, because we've not been appointed to his wrath. But I think sometimes when people hear that scripture, they think that means we will never get caught in any kind of judgment that's going to happen in the end. Well, you know, the, the scripture doesn't really speak about that. I mean, look at the martyrs through the ages. Look at the first couple of centuries, how many Christians died for their faith and suffered persecution. But they never experienced God's wrath against their sin. Because God, as I just read that scripture, God's appointed us to salvation. He hasn't appointed us to wrath. He hasn't appointed us to death or hell. He's appointed us to eternal life. But when these four horsemen ride, I'm saying there's some good people that can suffer under this. You know, the scripture talks about in the end times, there'll be a falling away. Uh, And I think what that falling away is talking about is from anything that's godly. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing here with this fourth seal being broken in these riders. They're they're demonically inspired and it's again it's happened in different periods in history in the end when we wrap this up in the end whenever god does that and however god does that paul writes and he said evil would get worse and worse and then he talks about a falling away what he's saying is that anything to do with godliness will be rejected that that evil is basically going to come right out in the open. And why does that happen? Because God's going to expose the hidden works of darkness. He's going to bring it right out into the light, and he is going to judge it one final time. Again, he's done it through the ages. Empires come, empires go. One day they'll come that last one, and God will purposely allow the evil to get worse, to expose what it is, and to bring final judgment on it. Now, I mentioned Ezekiel. He said, I'll 
The sword without and pestilence within would be the thing that God would use for judgment. And it also says in those scriptures in Ezekiel that your silver and your gold will be cast into the street. In other words, what he's saying is everything you've depended on for your security, your money won't deliver you. Your power is no longer going to deliver you. Your military is no longer going to deliver you. And again, through history, of course, it's happened. God has judged just that way with pestilence, famine within and the sword without. Do you know that the Roman population, and I mentioned them because at the time that Jesus is giving this to John in the book of Revelation, that's who they're under. They're under Roman occupation, and some of this obviously has to do with that. He's writing to people at that time that were under Roman persecution, and he's trying to show them what the end's going to be here. But the Roman population decreased like 90% between 400 and 800 AD when they finally fell. Why? Because of famine and plagues. I mean, it, and, and again, I'm saying they were defeated by their own thing, that, that their conquest was constant and constant. They needed more slave labor. They, they overspent on the military. When it talks about the sword here, that's what it's speaking of, war, military, the whole nine. Eventually, an empire can go on and on and on and on and then destroy itself by the very thing that it's doing. And so Rome lost population and then... Rome had pandemic. I mean, I know we have we just recently had one, but it's nothing new through history. They've happened before. They, it happened twice. It happened in the Roman Empire in the east and the Roman Empire in Constantinople in the west. And I think uh, the latter one had destroyed like 30, 30 to 50 million people died. Uh, to the point where one of the historians at that time, I think his name is Procopius, he said that it looks like the whole human race is going to be annihilated. This is judgment that God brings on people for what they've for the, for their rejection. Uh, even again, as Jesus is writing this, it's not only the Roman Empire, but it's he's also talking in parts of this about the Jewish people because they had rejected him. He's talking about, I mean, Jerusalem would be judged because of. I mean, they took Jesus into Jerusalem and what? Sentenced him to death. And the leaders of the Jewish nation were those that did that. So Jerusalem itself was going to be judged by the same thing I just mentioned here. Pestilence and famine within. And the sword without, of course, was the Romans when they came in in 70 AD and ultimately totally destroyed Jerusalem. But the pestilence and famine within, I mean, if you read about the judgment that came upon Jerusalem... The, the people were hunkered down in the city. Uh, the Roman army was coming. They had nothing to eat. The famine was, was killing them. And there's even Josephus, another historian, and I, I, you know, I don't know the truth of the whole thing, obviously, but he claims they were eating anything, belts, shoes, leather, and even sometimes they engaged in cannibalism because they were starving to death. And of course, the disease and everything else that happens as a result of being shut up like that for so long. Famine, pestilence, how about the black death that happened in the Holy Roman Empire? I mean, what did that destroy half of Europe? And how does that come? I mentioned the beast of the earth that it mentions here. Well, how did, the, how did that happen? Through fleas, lice, rats coming on the merchant ships. You know, see how they were trying to 
all their power. You know, we're going to control the economy. We're going to control this, that. We're going to... And ultimately, you get destroyed by your own devices. And by the way, folks, for for your information, those nations that comprised the Holy Roman Empire, which started in 800 AD when the Pope, he anoints Charlemagne to be the first king of the Holy Roman Empire. The Roman Empire in the book of Revelations here, that had fallen. And so Constantine had moved them out west to Constantinople, but in the east, they started up again when the Pope, I just mentioned, ordained Charlemagne in 800 AD. But that nation, the nations that comprised the Holy Roman Empire, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Netherlands, Belgium. That was the seat of the Holy Roman Empire. Do you know where all the international organizations that are going on in the world right now, do you know where they're all? Every single one of them are right in those same nations. It's like we're watching a revival of the Holy Roman Empire all over again, seeking power, seeking the same thing they've always sought out, power. And I think if you look at this, the rider on the white horse of deception has already come. The rider on the, on the red horse of division has come. The rider on the economic depravity, we're seeing that going on right now. So you can expect this fourth one to be going out. But again, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, the Bank of International Settlement, G7, G20, the World Economic Forum, the World Trade Organization, the World Health Organization, the World Council of Economic Development, every single one of them are right there with these nations, the Bilderbergers, where everybody goes once a year, all the American leaders, everybody goes over there and meets in the Netherlands. They call it the Bilderberger because that's the first hotel they met in was Bilderberg. So it's kind of interesting to note that we're almost in the midst right now of watching the revival of the Holy Roman Empire. And again, through history, again, you can look at the I, I just mentioned Constantine was in the, uh, had taken the Roman Empire out to the east. Uh, he saw that as better trade routes. He saw that as the future. And they had their pandemic. And then they were taken over, that, that whole area was taken over by the Ottoman Empire. What happens with the Ottoman Empire? They get destroyed. Destroyed by the sword in World War I and by famine and pestilence inside. Flu, malaria, killed uh, so many of them. Jesus said in Matthew 7, whatever judgment you put out, you're going to come back to you. In other words, <laughs> what you do is going to come back to bite you, and that's what we're seeing here. This rider on the fourth horse is going to go out as a last-ditch attempt at assault, and it's all going to come back to bite him. So, how does any of this apply to us today in America? Well, I just mentioned about the what we're seeing going on in Europe right now. But everything I mentioned about uh, judgments and how they're going to come, we're seeing it in our time. The sword is symbolic of war. Well, we're seeing war over and over and over. We just keep seeing the same thing. It's seemingly, I mean, we had World War I, which everybody said after World War I, well, we're going to have another world, World War. World War I paved the way for World War II. And in the process of both wars, World War I got rid of the Ottoman Empire and redefined all of Eastern Europe. World War II was basically the end of uh, Western Europe, and they redefined all Western Europe. 
And so what do we have after that? And then we go into Korea, then we go into Vietnam, and it's been war after war after war. And eventually, you're going to get destroyed with your own devices. Because what do we get out of all these wars? We accomplish absolutely nothing. We create chaos and instability. And again, all these riders that are going out on these four horses, God's got the answer for them. It comes in the trumpet judgments that God give, that that we see that follows this in chapter uh, nine, I guess it is. This is in chapter six, but I mean, so God is aware of what's going on. But everything we're seeing going on today, I mean, the incredible uh, quest for profit to control everything for military contractors you know we're talking about the sword here and military contractors do you know i mean the pentagon politicians corporations they're all complicit in all of this i mean all of all of what goes on the covert operations in various places uh they've inflicted famine and pestilence upon people you know, we we think, and I people sometimes when I talk like this, they think I'm being subversive. Listen, I love America. Why? Because I love the people in America. But I, I mean, when I look at our government, I mean, are we going to think that this that everything there is is just on the up and up? And I'm I'm not even talking about just our government. I'm talking about human government through history, human government all over the globe. It is what it is. Who who gets the power? But we've got special op forces all over the globe. I mean, we started a special op command in like the 80s. I think it was a few thousand. Then it's closer to 100,000 now. I mean, and it comes at the cost of billions of dollars. That's the sword. Then pestilence. Pestilence is pandemics. I mean, that's that's diseases and pandemics. I mean, we we're seeing one mentioned a few minutes ago the World Economic Forum. Now, and I've talked about this before, they had a 10-year plan that was to start in 2020 and end in 2030. They call it the Great Reset. It's to reset everything, your economy, your life, your social life, everything, the ultimate control of, of everything. How did it start in 2020? With a pandemic. Why? Because a pandemic is an easy progression for them. Once you get people locked down, shut down, you not only lock down people, you lock down an economy. You controlled absolutely everything and gave the power over to people that weren't even elected. You gave the power over to agencies. And so pandemic, and then we're, we're talking famine, I mentioned, is another thing. Well, aren't we having food shortages? I mean, in America, we're paying more for the food, but there's other places in the world that are actually having tremendous shortages. And why is all this happening? Because a new power, a new empire is about to arise. The world order that we've known it now is about to come to an end and a whole new one is going to stop. A pandemic, I call it the pandemic, was a step forward. Inflation, food shortages, they create chaos to force solutions that people will accept, not realizing that they're giving away their sovereignty and autonomy has been handed over to a handful of people that don't have them and their, and their, their best interest in their agenda. You say, well, why not stop it then? 
Well, with a highly centralized form of government we have, the only way we can affect change comes through who? Our illustrious leaders. That's the only way we're going to do it. But when there are leaders that are handpicked, financed, and put in office by the very people, that, the evil people we're talking about behind the scenes, then how is it going to be stopped when there's too many people complicit in the whole thing that's going on? This is why Jesus told us, beware of deception, beware of deception, beware, he said it over, beware of false Christ, beware of deception, he said it over and over. So under our present system that we have right now, a highly centralized form of government and a two-party system, which is all we have, well, change isn't going to happen. I don't care who you think you're electing. Stuff has been going on for years. Okay, anyway, let me finish this up. And what I wanted to do was talk, I haven't talked to you in a while, and since then we've recently had this uh, decision on abortion, which is interesting, the Supreme Court ruling on abortion, which I'm opposed to abortion, so I'm fine with the ruling. Now it sends it all back to the states. But the interesting thing to me was that the case before the Supreme Court was a case out of Mississippi, which is basically basically a heartbeat bill, 15 weeks. And, of course, that's what Republicans have been pushing for years now across as many states as they could get it done, was to get the heartbeat bill passed. And so the ruling was going to come that whether the heartbeat bill was constitutional or unconstitutional, instead they decided to overturn Roe versus Wade entirely. And which, fine, I'm okay with that. And now it goes back to the states and each state can decide by themselves, which is probably where it should have been in the first place. But my question is, where does this end? Is this ruling that the Supreme Court made just about abortion or is it about other things? Now, Clarence Thomas has been sitting on the Supreme Court for 30 years. This Supreme Court is basically Clarence Thomas's Supreme Court. That's what it is. And uh, he's, his biggest thing is the fact that he doesn't want agencies and other people that aren't elected making law, which I, I understand that. I don't have a problem with that. But at the same time, you can't flip things over the other way where all of a sudden somebody's going to decide to reconfigure America according to what they want. And as Christians, folks, I know it's, our greatest power is not in trying to legislate people into how to live. Our greatest power is not trying to impose Christianity on people that wouldn't want it. Our greatest power is the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us when the Holy Spirit rises up in us, when we can reflect the very kingdom and character of Christ, that's where our power is. Evil is overcome by good. Darkness is overcome by light. The greatest power we have is the power that Jesus had when he walked right in the midst of the Roman Empire with all of their things, and he told the apostles, if you had faith, you could tell this mountain to be cast into the sea. And that mountain he was talking about was those that were ruling. Mountains are a type of governments. And, and he was talking about those that were ruling over them. And he said, faith, faith in him, faith in his kingdom. That's where our greatest power is. And I'm saying this because I don't want to see Christians get so wrapped up in a political system that they begin to believe that's where their power is, because it's not where it is. Our power's in Christ. Our power's in his spirit. 
and any change that's going to happen. Darkness is overcome by light. Darkness is exposed. Light will expose the dark. Bring it, bring the darkness right out into the light where the light will extinguish it. That's where our power is. When we live as Christ has called us to live. And so here's what I think. I think right now there's a tremendous gathering happening all over the world. In the midst of whatever all the powers of darkness think they're doing right now with all their puny plans, God is moving by his spirit. You might not be hearing it in the local or the national media, or you might not be seeing it in the mainline uh, mega churches. God is moving by his spirit, and he's gathering a people. He's putting together a, a, a people, all of, especially young people. It's, it's amazing to me how many places you can hear where young people are gathering together. So this gathering, this gathering, this gathering is taking place. And one day God's going to release that people that he's raised up with such power, Pentecostal power. And when that happens, the church will have the power to set the oppressed and suppressed free. And we, like has happened through history, will become a threat to the powers of darkness. And they may try to come against us with persecution. That persecution will purge us, purify us, protect us, provide for us, and it will separate us under Jesus and his kingdom, which is exactly what we want and need. That's what the enemy means for evil. God will turn it for good. He will raise up a people who reflect the kingdom and character of Christ. The powers of darkness. And yes, they'll try to come against us. And yes, there'll be some some gut-wrenching times. God will eventually judge the whole thing. And who rises up and rules and reigns? Who does that? We do. We do in Christ. So be encouraged to know that God is gathering right now in the midst of, again, everything the powers of darkness think they're doing it. They do not win. God is raising up a people. And it's not going to be some big showy thing, which is going to be some mega churches. No, it's going to be in the highways and byways, in the villages, in the towns. It's going to be a grassroots movement. And that's how change happens. The kingdom of God advances. The powers of darkness are defeated. That's what I'm believing. And I know we can, we can, get caught in the crosshairs, as I said earlier, and I know there might be some sacrifices that we have to make, but folks, what do we really want out of life? What do we really want? Christians live with an eternal perspective. They understand we're pilgrims and strangers here. This is not our kingdom. It's never meant to be. We serve one king. We're a part of one kingdom, and we will rule and reign with him eternally. God bless. Thank you for listening.